So Matthew chapter 13, I've got so many verses today to walk through and we're gonna have fun walking through them that I'm not gonna read them first. Uh, We're gonna go through it as we're talking about the different points. So we're talking about parables. Remember parables? It's like cast alongside. You're gonna cast something alongside. What are we casting alongside? Jesus is casting a story alongside of a main idea that he is trying to teach. These parables are typically teaching something new So it's something that was unexpected to those who have been caught up in the Old Testament. They're looking for the next King David. They're looking for an immediate kingdom. They're thinking the king's gonna come and he's gonna take over and Israel's gonna be restored back to its David-type prominence. And so here Jesus is saying, no, 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 I gotta teach you about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Don't get confused. Kingdom of heaven in Matthew is more frequently used, although he does use kingdom of God. Kingdom of God in other locations uh, is used. We saw it yesterday when we walked through through John, remember it mentioned twice just in those first six verses of chapter three, the kingdom of God. And so heaven, God, same thing, it's the kingdom. When we think about that kingdom, Jesus is now in our text today, we're gonna go through six parables. Some of them are really short, it's okay. I'm gonna group them together. And so I'm gonna take the first parable we talk about and the last parable that we talk about in 13, the parable of the weeds and the parable of the net. They both talk about the end and they have a lot of similarities. We'll look at those. I'm gonna group those two together and then we're gonna look at leaven and the mustard seed. I'm grouping those two together in another point and then we're gonna look at, oh, I forget what the other ones are, but we're gonna look at those two and we're gonna look at those two. It's the treasure and the pearl of great price or the pearl of great uh, value and we're gonna group those together. So we've got three points. We've got six parables. We're gonna walk through the text. We're gonna have a blast doing it. Here is your definition of the kingdom of heaven. This is the big deal. So what is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that keeps getting talked about in the gospels? So here it is. You've got like three different ways people talk about this. The kingdom of heaven, God's universal rule over all things at all times because he's the king. You've got the definition of God's people in God's place ruling under his ruler, Jesus. So God's rule, God's people, God's place. But there's something that's happening here in Matthew that there's something new that's being announced. Remember John the Baptist, earlier in Matthew, says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, that's a new message. What's new about that? It's Jesus's earthly ministry is inaugurating, is starting something new. So then Jesus comes on the scene, he's baptized, he goes through the the temptation, he comes out and then he continually preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He goes through the Beatitudes and in the Beatitudes he talks about Blessed are the merciful, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so all of these things point us to there's something new being taught here. That something new is that Jesus in his earthly ministry is inaugurating, he's starting, he's announcing that the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is moving forward, but it's not completed yet. And so you hear this language in theology where we talk about the already and the not yet. We talk about that with our sanctification. We are already sanctified, justified, a child of the king, just as if we were glorified, but we're not there yet. We're not fully sanctified because we deal with the flesh. We still have yet to be glorified. So we're in an already not yet situation. Same thing with the kingdom. John the Baptist says, repent, the kingdom of heaven's here. Jesus is there. He's in front of them and he says, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. It started. We haven't seen the end of it yet. The end of it is when the king comes back and returns and one day he's gonna set all things right, he's gonna make all things new and we're gonna see the kingdom of heaven like we've never seen the kingdom of heaven before. The kingdom of heaven, it's 
here. It's starting. It's coming. So what is it? God's people in God's place under God's universal ruler, King Jesus. We serve King Jesus whose unique earthly ministry announces this already inaugurated, it's just started, but not yet fully consummated, not yet completed, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. All right, so when we think kingdom of heaven and all six parables, this is what you're thinking about. Jesus is teaching something new to everybody about the kingdom of heaven. He's tossing stories alongside. He's giving us an earthly story with a heavenly meaning to say, here's what I'm trying to teach you. So here's our main idea of today. You've got three points. I've got three different sections of this main idea. The kingdom of heaven, what is it? It's unstoppable. You can't stop it. The kingdom of heaven is greater than Michael Jordan in his prime or LeBron James in his prime or whoever you want to insert into that. You can't stop it. You can't even contain it. There is nothing you can do about it. It is unstoppable. It is invaluable. Now, if you're wondering what that word means, because sometimes we misuse that word and we, we use it for something that is of no value. That's not what invaluable means. Invaluable means you can't put a price on it. It is beyond all value. It is priceless. It is worthy of everything in our life. The kingdom of heaven, as we're gonna see through two of these parables, is invaluable. It is priceless. It is worth everything we have. And then we're gonna see that the kingdom of heaven will execute justice. It is just. So here's your main idea. Kingdom of heaven is unstoppable it's invaluable, and it will execute justice. You've got three points that will be our outline. Point number one, we're gonna look at those front end and back end parables. We're gonna see the kingdom of heaven is just. Point number two, we're gonna look at the leaven and the mustard seed, and we're gonna see that the kingdom is unstoppable. And then we're gonna look at the treasure and the pearl, and we're gonna see that the kingdom is invaluable. Those are your three points. We're gonna walk through them starting with point number one. The kingdom is just. The kingdom of heaven will execute justice. So let's look at how it's gonna execute justice. We begin first with the parable of the weeds. So the parable of the weeds shows up in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Let's walk through it together. I've got it for you on the screen. I hope that's readable for you up there. It says, he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven. So if you're right in your Bibles, if you're doing this, you underline the kingdom of heaven. All six of these parables that we're doing today, kingdom of heaven, we're learning about the same main concept with different main ideas about each one. Saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to what? It may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, what happens? An enemy came along and sowed weeds. Are you kidding me? These weeds, what are they? These, these weeds, it's hypothesized. It's in the commentaries that these are darnel is what they would be called. These are weeds that look a lot like wheat when they first grow up. They look very similar, but these have black seeds on them that are actually poisonous. So you have wheat growing on one side that could provide nutrition and would be helpful to us, and you have a weed growing on the other side that could be poisonous and could kill you. This is a problem when you start harvesting. So there's an enemy that's come along and sowed some weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And, and the servants of the master of the house came and they said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And the master said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, 
Well, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. Okay. This parable, I can explain it to you, but I don't need to because Jesus has. So we're just gonna look down to the next verse where Jesus, to the next few verses where Jesus actually explains the parable of the weeds in verse 36. Chapter 13, verse 36. Let's read what Jesus says. Then he left the crowds. He went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he said to them, okay, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. All right, pause there, put a comma. So if the son of man is sowing the good seed, then the question about was the seed good is not even a legitimate question. Jesus is the one sowing the seed. Jesus is perfect. Jesus does all things right. In the parable here, it's the son of man, it's Jesus, and so the seed is good. That's not what's happening here. The field, what is the field? The field is the world. Oh, I wish we had time. Bible students, where are you? Raise your hand. All right, this parable, we love Augustine. We love our church history. We love our church fathers. Augustine botched this interpretation royally. And there is a question for us all to consider in our minds here because he was fighting against the Donatists. The Donatists wanted a pure church. Augustine didn't believe necessarily in the pure church against the Donatists. It's much more complicated than that. But Augustine then said, well, this is talking about the church and there should be saints in the church and there should be lost people in the church. It's not a pure church. It's not a believer's church. And Augustine was wrong on that particular point. We're really glad that Augustine's view of salvation went out over Augustine's view of the church. And we value Augustine's view of salvation. But this is a caution to all of us that our culture can change our interpretation so if you're a Bible student in here, I could spend 30 minutes more talking about this and talking about religious freedom in this passage, but I don't have time because I have six parables, so go study. All right, sorry. Augustine blew it. That's your point. Go read how. You can figure it out. All right, the field is the world. The field is not the church. This is not saying that we're gonna have lost people and saved people in the church. There is church discipline. We believe in a believer's church. Those things are important, but the field's the world. In the world, it says the good seed is the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Oh, so these weeds are sons of the evil one. Okay, this is starting to make some sense here now. And so then we see that the harvest is the end of the age. Now, you, you wanna underline that? You wanna start that? You wanna circle that? Because that's gonna come back up in another parable in just a minute, the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Angels, again, that's gonna come back up. It's gonna be repeated. So you underline, star, highlight, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Again, underline, the Son of Man will send his angels again, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all the lawbreakers. And what are they gonna do in verse 42? Note it here, underline it. They're gonna throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Oh, there's good news for us here. If you are a follower of Christ, there's good news because you're gonna shine like the sun. You're finally gonna be free from that fleshly temptation and all of those things that distract us and all of that sinfulness as we're made new and we shine like the sun in the house of the Father. And here's our phrase, the title of our, our entire sermon series, in part, here it is, he who has ears, let him hear. Okay, now let's flip over to verse 47. Verse 47, the parable of the net, and then I'm gonna draw some conclusions about both of these. Verse 47, the parable of the net, it says, and again, the kingdom of heaven. You see it, 
Six different parables, six different stories, all about the kingdom of heaven. There's our category. It's like a net. We know what a net is. It was thrown into the sea. Great. And it gathered fish of every kind, whole bunch of fish. It's a story, right? Don't try to get, don't say, where were you fishing? Can I go fish there? No, it's a story. All right, just, yeah, you go. It's tossed alongside. He's teaching a principle here. When it was full, the men drew it ashore and they sat down. And they sorted the good into containers, but they threw away the bad. So it is with the end of the age. You see the phrase again, end of the age. We've already seen it twice. We underline it. We say, oh, wait a second. These are connected here. There's something happening. The angels, oh, we've already heard about this. The angels are gonna come and they're gonna separate the evil from the righteous. And then they're gonna throw them into, what does it say? A fiery furnace. Oh, so I'm gonna circle that. If it's on the same page, I can draw a line up and say, wait a second. Jesus is telling stories here using the same words. He's drawing connections. He's re-emphasizing things. I better get this. In the fiery furnace and in that place, there will be what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so let's notice the similarities. If you're taking notes, the similarities. The kingdom of heaven, verses 24, verse 47. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's not the kingdom of the church. It's not the church. There's a difference in Matthew between the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, and the church. It's the end of the age, verses 40 and 49. It's that harvest period in verse 30. It's the angels who are gonna separate. I'll come back to that and make a point. Actually, I'll just make it now. We're not the judges. We don't, we don't have to decide who's good and who's evil. It's not for us to execute. We don't do crusades. Part of what this passage is teaching, if I had time to spend all of our time just on the weeds, is this passage is talking to us about religious liberty and religious freedom and all. Jesus is not saying, yeah, go rip up those weeds and get those weeds out of the world. He's saying, no, let them live right alongside each other and let them do so to the end of the age. And at the end of the age, God's gonna send his angels. He's gonna judge. That means we don't have to. So that means we should live in an air of humility alongside others recognizing that lost people are lost people and they're gonna live like lost people. And we want them to live a long time so they can hear the gospel over and over and over again and eventually be saved and not be lost people. So the crusades of going around and killing lost people are ridiculous because then that's that killing them seals their fate for all eternity in hell. We want them to be able to stay so we can convince them and so the Holy Spirit can convict them. And so through the power of the gospel and through the word, they'll come to Christ. So then they'll be on our team rather than on the bad team. And then as they're on our team, because God has transformed their life, they're part of the good team. And then they go to heaven forever. So we don't believe in crusades. We don't believe in any of that. We believe in religious freedom for everybody. Religious freedom for us, religious freedom for people who disagree with us, religious freedom for people who believe nothing, religious freedom for people who believe everything, and we want an open marketplace of ideas where we can tell them about the gospel, allow the Spirit to draw them, and for them to be saved. That's what we want. I just don't want it my way. I want it free, open. There's gonna be wheat and there's gonna be weeds. If you can't get used to living beside weeds, you're gonna have a real problem in the world. Because there are lost people that act like lost people and that's something we should pray about and you should break our heart and we should share the gospel with them. But it's not our job to separate them. That's the angels. And there's a fiery furnace. We should give us a passion for the gospel and a passion for missions because the text clearly tells us here in both of these that there is a fiery furnace that the weeds are gonna go into, that the bad fish are gonna go into and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's tossing it alongside here. What's he saying to us? There's gonna be a judgment at the end and that judgment will be just. It is God's judgment and he will judge. 
We could pick up a few other things. There's side issues. Like we could pick up the fact that there was an enemy that sowed. Who's the enemy? The enemy's the evil one. Who's the evil one? The evil one is the devil. So if the devil's the one that's sowing things that look like wheat, but it's not wheat, then we have an enemy. Who's the enemy? The devil. All right, let's repeat that after me. Who's the enemy? The devil. Who's the enemy? The devil. The enemy is not the other person on Twitter. You're not on Twitter. You're on Instagram because you know how evil Twitter is. Anyway, it's <laughs> the enemy is not the other person on that talk show. The enemy is We got to love lost people. We're commanded to love our enemies. The person who believes in a secular humanistic worldview is not the enemy. The devil who has blinded them and deceived them is the enemy. That person is someone for whom Christ died. Let's love them well. All right, there's some other things. There will be a judgment. The angels are gonna judge. So when that Darnell grows up, it looks an awful lot like wheat. Have you ever seen somebody that claimed to be a Christian and you thought, oh, they're a Christian and then all of a sudden they do some things and they start drifting off the rails and now they're an ex-evangelical or something along those lines and they've completely denied their faith and they're wandering way out in left field and you're wondering what in the world is going on here? Parables. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. If you allow somebody at some point in time who may call themselves a Christian, but they do very, very different things, they look different, their end is different, if that rattles your faith, you're not reading your Bible well enough because Jesus has already told us through his word that will happen. There will be those who are fake, false Christians. There will be fake false gospels. There will be things that look an awful lot like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. That doesn't cause my faith to be shaken. That doesn't cause my faith to be challenged because my faith is not in another person. My faith is not in their ideas. My faith is in this book and my faith is in Jesus. And Jesus has already told me that the enemy is sowing seeds in this world that for a brief time, they're going to look just like us and we're not going to know which is which. Oh, but the fruit comes out. And when the fruit comes out, then we understand. Don't let weird things that happen in the church or through other Christians cause you to not like the church. The church may have its issues. The church may have its problems, but the church is the bride of Christ. And how can you love Jesus and say, I love you, Jesus, but I hate your bride? I'm just telling you, if you told me that, that wouldn't work very well. I really like you. I don't like joy very much. I don't like you very much then. You can come into my house for s'mores. I mean, you stay away. <laughs> I mean, seriously, she, gets, she buys the stuff for the s'mores. How could you not like, if you met my wife, you can't, you, if you, she's the one that's likable in the family. I mean, I'm not the, <laughs> I'm not the likable one. That's her. So I love you, Jesus. I don't have anything to do with your bride. No, you're being foolish. He's already told us that stuff like this is gonna happen. We're all sinners. We all struggle with the flesh. We all have sinful issues. The church is not gonna be perfect. And if you ever find a perfect church, do us all a favor and don't join it because you'll mess it up. Just take a picture and leave quietly. Just walk away. <laughs> just go, just don't, don't even, just don't try it. You'll mess it up. All right, here's my, here's my last point. I gotta move on. 
I have too much fun, sorry. Uh, weeds need no cultivation. Yeah, this is a little minor deal, but this is, I, throw the seed out there and the weeds, they'll grow. Weeds grow when you don't even want them to grow. You don't throw seed out there and weeds all of a sudden pop up. You, you get a garden and you work really hard to get the dirt right and you put the good seed down and all of a sudden weeds pop up. You know, where'd they come from? It was dirt. Who put the weeds there? Thank you, Satan. We don't like you anymore. We never liked you. Well, actually, when we were not centered, yeah, we did. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Pull those weeds up and get rid of those weeds. They need no cultivation and they grow right back. All right, now there's a little point I wanna make here. And that our desire to flee and go towards our flesh, towards that sinful nature, oh, you don't have to cultivate that. Babies immediately understand how to be selfish the moment they are born. Feed me now, change my diaper now. You're not gonna do it now, I'm gonna cry, watch me. Every time you hear a crying baby, selfish. To some degree, that's true. I mean, you know. I, nobody had to teach you to do that. Nobody had to teach you to think you're the center of the universe. You're not, by the way. But nobody had to teach you to think you are. We all drift that way. So then we get saved and we're like, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm saved. Yeah, but Paul talks about this flesh. And with this flesh, if I'm not cultivating being the right kind of person, I'm gonna automatically drift to being the wrong kind of person. If I'm not in the word, if I'm not meditating on the word, if I'm not memorizing the word, if I'm not constantly focused in the right direction, then I am going to go in the wrong direction. My life is a mess. Why is my life a mess? Are you reading your Bible? No, that's why your life's a mess. Are you thinking about scripture? No, that's why your life's a mess. Have you surrounded yourself with good people? No. Well, then why are you even asking the question? Are you going to church regularly? No. I go to chapel five days a week. I don't need to go to church. Yes, you do. You need to go to church and serve so some mom that has babies can be in the service, listen to the sermon while you're out there ministering to those kids and having a great time with the love of the Lord in your life, seeing what it's like to serve others. We are to be producers in the local church, not consumers in the local church. All right, I gotta stop. I gotta move on. Point number two. The kingdom is unstoppable. The kingdom is unstoppable. All right, where are we getting this from? All right, we got a slide for you. Chapter 13, verse 31. Look at what it says in verse 31. He put another parable before them. He's tossing something else alongside. All right, I've taught you is just. In the end, we're gonna separate the good and the bad. All the evil injustice you see in this world, we're gonna make it right. There will be a just judge. I'm tossing another story alongside you. What's the other story? Another parable saying the kingdom of heaven is like, so there's your kingdom of heaven, underline that. It's like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. All right, I gotta put a comma here. All right, Bible students, where are you again? All right, I, I talked to these last time. I'm talking to this side here. Okay, Bible students. In your interpretation of this text, you gotta dig deeper because in this, some people take the parable of the weeds and they say the weeds is the enemy sowing and then they're gonna use that lens to read all of these other five parables and so they're gonna talk about these parables as being the enemy and being Satan and being evil. I don't think that's the right interpretation. You go figure that out later. That's not the way I'm preaching it today, but it's out there, so you need to know it, all right? So here's what I think he's doing here. He's saying to them, there's a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. Now, technically, somebody will say to you at some point in time, 
the orchid seed smaller. Yeah, Jesus is telling a story to people who have never seen an orchid and have no clue what an orchid seed is. Do you think Jesus is gonna say, there's an orchid seed that's a small, that's not tossing something alongside. That's putting something on the top shelf and saying, don't, you don't even know what an orchid is. So now I gotta explain to you an orchid. I just ruined my whole illustration. A mustard seed is what they know. It was a parable in that time that they would talk about a mustard seed. Jesus used the mustard seed to talk about faith the size of a mustard seed could move mountains. He's telling them a story to say something this small, something really small. What's he trying to teach them? Remember, they're thinking King David. King David's coming back again. He's gonna be the line of the tribe of Judah. There's gonna be this big, massive kingdom. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed. Whoa, Jesus. No, 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 no. Where's the crown? Where's the kingdom? Where's the army? Where's the horses? It's a mustard seed. It's gonna start with Jesus and 12 disciples, one of whom is a traitor. And then it's gonna be unstoppable. It's gonna grow larger than all the garden plants and become a tree so that even the birds of the air can make their nest in it. And then in verse 33, he tells them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, we underline it again, is like leaven. Now this is why some Bible students, this is why some people say, oh, leaven's always bad. Every time leaven appears in scripture, it's bad. Get out the leaven. Leaven's the whole lump. We understand all those verses, the Old Testament with the Passover, get rid of the leaven, you, you get it. We understand that leaven is usually bad. Just because something is bad in some circumstances in the Bible doesn't mean it's always bad in every circumstance of the Bible. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and yet Satan is the lion prowling around looking to devour whom he may destroy. So lion can be used for Jesus and Satan. If that's the case, leaven could be used for evil and good. So here, leaven, what does it do? Well, leaven then was hid into three measures of flour. That's a whole lot of flour. Till it was all leavened. So here what we're seeing is that it's unstoppable. There's a little bit of leaven put into a whole lot of leaven. I actually have it. It's 50 pounds enough to feed 100 people is what three measures is. So note this. The dough doesn't change itself. There's a little bit of leaven put in there. And all of a sudden, over time, eventually, that leaven then changes until it's all leavened. Think about that. Jesus and 12 disciples, one of whom was a traitor, came to this earth and inserted a gospel message that has then blossomed and grown and has transformed and taken over. And one day, when he comes back again and he separates with the just judgment, then the kingdom is gonna all be just like Jesus wants it to be. Jesus took that gospel nugget of leaven and put it in my sinful, rebellious heart. And even though I didn't understand a whole lot of it at that point in time, when he put it in that sinful, rebellious heart of mine, I began a journey where that began spreading out and that leaven began changing different things in my life so that my affections were shifted and my life was changed so that I loved Jesus more than I used to love Jesus. I understood him more than I used to understand him. And now I'm on fire for Jesus. I get up in the morning. I want to read my Bible. I want to live for Jesus. I want to spend my whole life for Jesus. And it all started with this little bitty thing. And if you say, well, I'm just back here at this little bitty thing, all I have to say is give it time. It's unstoppable. You'll be absolutely miserable if you don't transform to be more like Jesus. All right. I gotta move on because it's 1040 already. Point number three, invaluable, priceless, beyond value, beyond estimation, worthy of everything. Verses 44. Verse 44, parable of hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven, you're tired of hearing me say this now, underline it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You go, Okay, this is a weird story. Jesus, what are you up to here? Think back. 
You didn't have banks. You didn't have Bitcoin. It didn't exist, right? Or Dogecoin or any other coin like that. No crypto. So you had treasure. You were going to go away on a trip. Where would you do with your treasure? You could bury it in a field. Nobody else will know where it's buried. You come back, you pick it, you get your treasure. I'm just like the bank, right? Because there weren't banks. So then dude goes on a trip and he dies. There's a treasure sitting in the field. Nobody knows where the treasure was because he died. He didn't tell everybody where his treasure was. If he told people where his treasure was, they might go steal his treasure. You don't tell you where my treasure is. My treasure is hidden. I'm the only one who knows where my treasure is. And so this guy goes and he's looking around and he sees his field and there's a treasure in it. There's a treasure that's hidden in the field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. What's Jesus teaching us? Some of you haven't been looking for anything and all of a sudden the gospel has been tossed right alongside you. The kingdom of heaven is right here in front of you. There's a gospel of grace that you can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and you didn't know it and you weren't looking for it, but here it is. So what do you do with it? Oh, this is great. This is invaluable. This is priceless. This is worth my entire life. I go and sell everything I've got because I value the kingdom of heaven more than everything else of this world. That's how priceless it is. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven, underline, is like a merchant in search. Now this time the merchant is in search. Different scenario. You didn't stumble across it. You're in search of it. God, what's the meaning to life? Why, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? There's a merchant in search of fine pearls. And then on finding one pearl of great value or one pearl that's priceless, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. Okay. One person not looking for it, one person looking for it, they both find it. We realize that this is not teaching that you have to purchase salvation. We understand that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. We understand that the Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us. So don't think these parables are teaching something they're not. They're not teaching the doctrine of salvation. He's tossing alongside to teach about the value of the kingdom. So we keep our minds focused on the value of the kingdom and we recognize that it's valuable. We recognize that it is worth all of our lives. It is worth all of the cost. We must be willing to part with everything for the value of the kingdom. We think back to Martin Luther and his great song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. There we are. You in this room? Some of you in this room may not be safe. You may not know the gospel. And so what I have to say to you is, remember those parables about justice in the end? Be saved. You don't want to be thrown into a fiery furnace with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Instead, look at what you have. You have something that is unstoppable. You have something that is invaluable. You have something that is a free gift offered to you right now. For those of us that have taken that salvation, look at what it says. It says, in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has. L listen, we don't, we don't come to Christ begrudgingly. Christ, you're preventing me from having my best life now. We come to Christ understanding that this is a treasure, that there is nothing better in this world, and that the devil is the author of lies. He is the ultimate deceiver, and that what I have in Christ is the truth, the light, and the gospel is the best way to live life now and for all eternity. We get to have joy and peace and be lives that are fulfilled, and we we get to remember it after the weekend's over because we didn't have to get drunk to forget all the things that were bad or wrong about life. We can have more fun at Cedarville than they can have at any of the state colleges anywhere in the country and still remember it Monday morning. Yeah. 
All right, I gotta go to application questions. So much more I would love to say. These are in your book. So if I don't get through all of them, you've got them. Just go back to your journal. Those questions are in there. What do these parables teach about good and evil existing in the world together? I've already hit on that. It's there, it will be there. You're never gonna live in a world that's all good until Jesus comes back. It's okay. Lost people should act like lost people. New people started getting saved and they came to our church and you wouldn't believe. Like they like wore shorts and hats and had tattoos and piercings and what? What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Do we judge people because they don't look like we might want to look in the mirror? All right, I'll just leave it alone. Who's our enemy? That was really weak. Who's our enemy? All right, whose job is it to judge and punish evil? That's God's job, not mine. When does it occur? At the end of the age. How do leaven and the mustard seed adjust our expectations for the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven may start small in my life or, or elsewhere, but it's gonna end really big. Why should we, we be willing to give up to obtain the kingdom of heaven? Everything. All our treasures, all our time, all our talents, all of our lives. Jesus is worth it. He's the king. I'm just a servant before the king. What things of this earth do you value too highly? Write them down. Take a minute and think about that. I want that title. I want that salary. I want that this. I want that that. It doesn't mean you can't have all those things. It means seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. He might just add everything else on top of it. If he does, you're still just a servant of King Jesus. Dear Lord, we need your wisdom from above. We need your sanctification. We need the power of your spirit. Lord, we wanna serve you well. We wanna live life for you well. You are our king, and we acknowledge that this morning. So Lord, help us today to be faithful stewards and faithful servants. Lord, help us today to remember that we take joy in the fact that we are followers of the king, a kingdom that is unstoppable, a kingdom that is just, and a kingdom that is invaluable. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you are dismissed.